What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Okay, so here we are, everybody, for another stay-at-home remote broadcast edition of The Hive Jive. And Ken is all cush in the radio studio, and I am all cush in my little recording closet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we are ready to go with another episode. Um, I, when you asked me originally, wasn't exactly sure what we were going to do for the subject of this episode. I kind of, you know, like... Almost like you said on that one radio break earlier, like, wait, what happened? What were we talking about? Um, I couldn't remember if we had said something last week or not, but I think I remember where we were going to go. And it's perfect for what you and Max just experienced yesterday because it goes hand in hand with it. So we're going to talk about raising queens and doing your own queen breeding or, you know, very, very small scale, but raising your own queens for your beekeeping. Mm -hmm. And you guys had a very interesting little not mishap but a discovery we'll say yesterday and it kind of went hand in hand so i'll let you tell that real quick and then we'll go through and talk to everybody about how they can do the process of actually raising a queen at home well we we had checked on one of our top bars earlier this week and there was wasn't a whole lot of bees in there and we had doctored the bees for varroa mites and then a friend of mine said well you know a lot Sometimes those uh, farms will kill the queen. So we're sitting there, oh, well, heck, well, I hope we didn't kill the queen. We're looking for brood. We're looking for eggs. Couldn't find none. Wasn't near many bees in there. So we figured, well, it must have killed a bunch of bees and and, and, and hopefully the varroa mites. And, and then in the bottom of the, of the hive, you're seeing, you know, larvae and you're seeing dead varroa mites and a few bees. And I'm sitting there. Well, we killed the bees with that stuff. And then we went back a few days later and opened it up, started pulling bars out. And Max says, Dad, what? Look at this bar. Here's three emergency queen cells on this side. There's one on the other side. And then he's digging a little more and he finds another bar. Here's another emergency queen cell, just a single on one bar. And, yeah, uh, we called John just as soon as we found all this. John says, you had it swarm. That have swarmed. Maybe. Maybe. Where, so where were the queen cells located, though, on the comb? Were they on the edges, or were they literally in the middle of it? They are in the middle. Yeah, so that would not have been a swarm. Um, if they're in the middle, and now this is something that that drives me crazy because people take it as a black and white um, but on your top bar, if you've got a solid, smooth face of comb mm -hmm. and you've got cells that are along the edge of the comb, those are definitely swarm cells. Mm -hmm. If the cells are in the center of smooth comb, and I keep saying smooth on purpose, then those are what you call the supersedure or emergency cells. Now, the only reason I say that it's, it's not a black and white situation is because if you have a comb that is wavy, or if you have, like in the Langstroths, how sometimes they build up off of the foundation and they build these weird shapes, anywhere where there is a curve or an actual edge to the comb, they will build queen cups that are actual swarm cells 
But when you look at it from a black and white perspective, oh, it's quote unquote in the middle of the comb, so it must be an emergency cell. And so that's something that beekeepers, they kind of take it for granted and they just look at it and say it's this or that. But in your situation with those top bars, those comb are very straight, they're very smooth. Yep. And so for finding them in the center, then yes, those would be emergency cells. So if that's the case, then it could very well have been what you were talking about. The queen may have been older and failing and the formic acid was too strong mm. and could have potentially knocked her out and then knocked out the rest of the, uh, the any of the larva that may have been actually infected with whatever was going on. Because that specific colony had, it was kind of dwindling in numbers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't looking too good. It was a little bit sickly. And so, you know, you go through, you do the varroa test and you turn around and you actually treat for the varroa mites. And that is one of the situations where, yes, the formic acid can be something that that can be a little bit more harsh Mm -hmm. um, in some regards. But it's also the most naturally occurring thing that you could put in the beehive because it already occurs in the honey naturally anyway, and some insects actually produce it. So it is actually, it's my favorite thing to use, but we, you know, we've got to follow the temperature constraints and we got to do these other things. So the interesting thing though, is that it didn't take out like it didn't take out all the eggs and all the young larvae. It took out some of the larvae that was pupating in some of the bees that were already kind of sickly and, and had something going on with them. And then the bees were then able to go through and create off of these newly developed eggs into larvae the new queen cells that were going to be emergency cells to go through and, and repopulate that colony. But it was perfect timing because you guys have this water meter removal that you did mm-hmm. that is very testy and very feisty mm-hmm. and you want to requeen them. Mm-hmm. And the queen from this colony was very mellow and she did mm-hmm. really great until they started having these issues here down the road. So um, using one of these queen cells to then requeen that other colony is going to be kind of a win-win for you guys because you're able to use it it's already there it's a resource that the bees have already developed and they did it naturally and one of the really cool things that i don't think a lot of people necessarily understand is that the bees themselves when they go through and they choose which egg and which larva to turn into a queen that egg and larva does usually have a very specific genetic signature to it that is not found in most of the regular worker bees So, you know, the queen, she goes off and she mates with a bunch of different drones. So you've got all this different genetic mix up inside there and all these different traits and attributes. Well, they have done studies on bees. When bees purposely raise emergency queens, they are selecting eggs that have a trait that otherwise they remove from the rest of the workers. So the the only thing that they can figure out is that if that egg is laid in a normal worker cell and it's going to be a worker, a lot of times the bees may cannibalize that or remove it out of there. But then if it is in an emergency situation, they specifically find those eggs that have those genetic markers and traits that may have came from a specific drone. And those are the ones they choose to turn into these emergency queen cells. And for whatever reason, that means that that paternal and maternal line of that queen has that specific genetic signature to it that the other bees don't have. And so that that is some really cool research that had come out, uh, you know, probably a little while back, but it was something that I had learned during the master course. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. That's not something I would have ever considered. And when we go and we graft queens, obviously we're not doing that. 
we're going through and we're selecting every larva that's at the exact size and exact stage that we need. And we're scooping it very gently out of the cell and we're placing it into these little queen cell builder cups and then putting it into a hive for them to raise queens on. And there's not anything wrong with that, but if you look at it from a more natural perspective, allowing the bees to choose which queens and which genetics would make the best queen is gonna give you a far better queen than if you arbitrarily just go and say, these are the choices you have, you gotta do it. So it's really kind of cool. And it could also be another reason why sometimes when you graft bees, you may have done a perfect job grafting and you may have grafted 20 of them, but only 15 or 10 of them get fully developed and turn into a queen and the other ones, the bees remove. And that could be another reason for it. They may be like, nope, this genetic structure is not good for this. We, we don't want to use that one for a queen. So that was a little bit off subject, but that's some really awesome information that I found at one point just astounding, <laughs> for lack of better words, this morning. I know we just, you know, we just put in eight packages and we were noticing max noticed it yesterday we well when we were putting them in about a week ago he says dad look at this queen and i says yeah okay he says dad look at this queen and this queen his second queen was twice the size of the one he says look at this queen and that, yeah. that could be, you know, she was you know, hitting Max as well. That's probably a young queen, but they all ought to be young queens. Yeah, they all should be. That's part of the reason why you've heard us say several times, select the two largest queen cells inside there and remove all the other ones. Because if there's a little short stubby queen cell, mm -hmm. that queen doesn't have as much room to develop. And it also was probably one that was later in development because they capped it before the cell could get very big. So it was probably one in the later stages of the development that was right on the border of, am I young enough or am I too mm -hmm. old to become a queen? Mm -hmm. And so you pick those really big ones, you, you get, get a much healthier queen that's been fed more of the royal jelly for a longer period of time. They had time to draw that cell out further and she's got more room to fully develop. So I've noticed a lot and I'm sure a lot of other beekeepers out there will, will have noticed the same thing, but when you order queens in and they come in and they come in the cages, a lot of times they're very tiny, they're very skinny. Mm -hmm. And it is because it's kind of twofold. One, they're just pumping them out you know, one after another, after another, after another, and they're not being, uh, they're being indiscriminate on which ones they select because they just need queens. They're doing a business, they need a product. Well, the other part of it is they take that queen, they put her into the mating nuke, she goes out, she gets mated, she comes back, she may lay for a little while, then they catch her, they put her in a cage, and they put her in what's called a queen bank. And that's basically a colony that is constantly being given young worker bees but has no eggs and larvae of its own and has no queen of its own. Instead, it's got solid frames of just queens. And so those worker bees are constantly making the royal jelly and feeding those queens, but they're not getting as much food as they would if they were actively walking around on the comb and physically laying eggs actively. Mm -hmm. So they actually shrink down in size. And it's almost the same thing that happens when the bees are going to go out and swarm they chase the queen, they nip at her legs, they keep her moving, they don't feed her, they don't let her stop. And because of all of that, she shrinks down to where she's a lighter weight and can fly with the swarm easier. Well, I have had virgin queens emerge from the cell 
and be twice the size of fully mated queens that we've ordered and got in the mail. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really crazy when you see that. And, you know, it, it is. There's a lot of different things that could have went into that. And that doesn't mean that the, the smaller queen isn't going to be a good queen or a good layer, but it could mean that she was farther along in her development and therefore maybe she is going to miss out and kind of start sputtering down the way sooner rather than later where she may not have been able to mate as much or she may not be able to store as much of the genetic material and therefore you know she just doesn't lay as well as what a fully mated queen that is bigger could possibly do i know one of the things that well we have two different hives this new hive we just took out of a meter box we were in it the other day, and by the way, they're testy. John told me, told us, he says, any bee that you take out of the ground has African genetics. These definitely do. But Yeah, here in Central Texas, for certain, yeah. <laughs> they all do. But they, that queen is a layer. Dang, she's got everything that doesn't have honey or pollen in it it's got eggs in it and it's got brood and that that hive is fixing to explode and you know when we found it at five little bitty combs and now we even put a big comb in there she's got it plumb full and yeah so max is you know when we found this this single frame with a single egg on out of a good top bar that has a great queen in there, good mild mannered queen or genetics, we're going to move it to this top bar that's our nuke that's got this young swarm in it with a young queen that's meaner than hell. And John says, well, you need to take that top bar, put it in here, let them raise that queen and take that queen out and yep. that mean queen yeah. out. Yeah, and the, the process of doing that is basically going to be you want to go in there. So you guys found the queen cells, and we, we went through and had you open one of them mm -hmm. up so you could see how far along in development these queens are. And what you're going to do, we, we they're still in the late stages of the larval stage. They haven't started the pupation yet, um, but they have just been capped. So we only have three or four days to play with here. And what really is going to help out is hopefully you guys did this. If not, you need to go home and do it today. But when we were on the phone yesterday, I told you guys, go in there to the, the other colony, Pull the queen catch out. the queen, yeah. put her into a cage, and give her a couple of attendants so that she they can take care of her and feed her, and then seal that cage up and take it home and put it inside the house. That way, that other colony is going to have three days where there's no queen in there, and they're going to know that they're queenless, and they're going to go through and potentially start making queen cells. And if they do, you guys are going to go in and you're just going to immediately cut those queen cells back out. And you're going to have to look very closely to see if there are any, because if they have started their own, then they're less likely to try to accept one that you've given them. So getting her out of there sooner rather than later, giving them plenty of time to go through. And then you're going to take that bar that had that single queen cell on it. You're going to shake all the bees of it off of it from the other colony. And then you're going to take it over and put it into the colony that you're wanting to requeen and they will go through that queen is getting ready to emerge pretty quickly and so you'll put it in there and within that day or the next day by the time you do it she'll come out and she may run around and it may take them a little while you know for for her pheromones to kind of calm them down and get them to accept her and she may be on the run for a bit but whenever that occurs 
she can then go out and mate and come back and head up that colony, and she's going to have the genetics of what used to be one of these Russian Carniolan hybrid queens. She'll now be a second-gen queen from that that'll open mate with your feral population and head up that colony and give you a much better temperament than the native bees that you found, well, not native, quote-unquote, feral bees that you found in this water meter box. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, that's uh, I just texted Max. Be sure to get that queen out this morning, and because uh, I don't know if he did it yesterday. I had I go to bed at four o'clock. That's when we left uh, the bees yesterday uh, on Friday morning or Friday night. So uh, I'm not sure if he did it or not. And I just texted him. Be sure to get that queen out and put it in one of those box those traps, uh, queen cage. It's in uh, in our bee box. So I don't know. Well, you know what's really funny? You might want to um, resend that message to Max because you actually just texted it to me. <laughs> oh, heck. I fired it to him. <laughs> I'll call him hey, Max, Ken said that John said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gracious. Well, so if you want to raise queens on purpose, there, there are a lot of different ways that you can go through and do that. In our last episode, we talked about doing splits and going through and, and possibly allowing the colony to raise their own queen. And then you go back in there on, you know, the seventh or eighth day or ninth day, and you start removing those queen cells that are smaller and you leave just the two largest queen cells in there. Mm-hmm. That process can work almost hands down any time of the year, except for times of the year whenever there's not any drones out there or when there's no food out there. It can be really hard sometimes to get the bees to want to raise queens when you're in a dearth and there's no food available. And it's a really bad idea to raise queens when there's no drones available because then there's nobody for her to mate with. But you can do it, and a lot of times what we do here is we'll go through and we will purposefully we'll purposely go through and we'll raise queens by allowing them to do almost the emergency queen cell method. Um, I also have, there's a queen, um, I want to say it's an easy queen cage is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And it is like a six inch by six inch square plastic container that's got these holes with little plastic cups pushed down over the hole. And you actually put the queen in there. There's a queen excluder for all intents and purposes on the front of it so the worker bees can get down inside there they can take care of the queen and feed her but she's trapped into this fake piece of plastic comb where she can then walk around and she will start laying inside those holes that have little cups on the backside. and that is a very easy way instead of doing the grafting that i referred to mm-hmm. grafting is basically you take a very small tool and you may need glasses or a magnifying glass and you need a light and you find larva that literally just hatched from the egg to the larva and you very gently scoop them out of the pool of royal jelly in the bottom of the cell and transfer them over into one of these artificial cups and you put them on either a frame or a bar where they're oriented with a cup facing down so it'll be just like a queen cup and then that'll encourage the bees to turn that into a queen cell well, if you use this easy queen cage, you actually go and you put her in there, and usually the first day all the worker bees are in there and they're kind of cleaning it up. I usually take it if it's brand new, and I'll put it into the colony a couple of days in advance, let them go in, let them clean it, let them propolize stuff. Then I take it back out, I find that queen that I want to use the genetics of, and I catch her, and I put her into this cage, 
and then seal her in there and then put it back inside of her original colony. And I leave it there for three to four days because she's going to lay eggs and she probably won't start on that first day. She's going to lay eggs in all those holes. And then you want those eggs to actually hatch. So you want to take it out on that third or fourth day, probably the fourth day when there's actually a transition of eggs and larvae inside there. So you can do the same concept as grafting, but what you're actually going to do is you're just going to go through. And when you find the cup that has that first stage of larval development in it, you actually just pop the plastic cup off the back of the hole. And then you attach it into this little frame holder that is designed to hold that little cup. And it's the simple way to go through and do grafting, but and it, it takes a lot of that learning curve out of there. But if you want to raise queens at home and you want to raise a lot of them, that is one way you can do it. Or the very, very, very simple method is you simply remove the queen from the colony that you want to have the queens develop from, mm -hmm. and they will start making emergency queen cells. Then you've got to go through and you've got to be very careful about being able to cut those cells out so that you don't harm that queen cell and harvest them at just the right time put them into other colonies at just the right time. Like there's some other specifics that go along with that, but you're allowing the queen to be chosen by the worker bees and allow her to be naturally developed instead of us going through and artificially stimulating it. So that's stage one, get the queen started. The second stage of it is going to be, now you need some colony to, if you're doing the artificial methods, you need a colony that's going to build out these queen cells. So when you start the process of putting the queen in the colony and letting her go, you really actually want to go back a day or two before that, and you're going to make a split. And that split should be, it shouldn't have any larva in it or any young larva, no eggs, no young larva. It can have older fat larva and capped brood only, or preferably all capped brood. And you're going to take a couple of frames of that, put it into this split. Then you want a frame of solid pollen, and a frame of solid food, solid nectar or capped honey. And you put it into this colony, and then you shake extra worker bees in there that are nurse bees off of some open brood, and then you leave them. Now what you've created is a situation where there are no eggs and there's no young larva, so they cannot go through and start creating their own queen, which makes them hopelessly queenless. And that makes them very, very, very acceptable and very in a basically in a dire state of oh my god we need a queen immediately right so when you create that colony we call that i call it a nursery colony or you can call it a cell builder colony and what's going to happen in that is you then take all of these little cells that you've got the the young larva in and you attach them to either like i've got a top bar version of this or you can do it in a langstroth version you take your frame or your bar that has all of these queen cups attached facing down with a young larva in it, and you put it into this cell builder colony. And you're feeding that cell builder colony like crazy as well. So they've got plenty of pollen, they've got plenty of food, you're giving them liquid food as well. So they've got all the resources they need to create a very potent royal jelly from the pollen, and then to create lots of wax to draw out these queen cells. And you let that colony that was hopelessly queenless do all of your cell building and all of your feeding of the queens and they go through and they get her all taken care of. And then when they're capped, if you've used the easy method where you actually had the plastic queen cups or even the grafting method into a plastic queen cup, they make these cages called roller cages. And they, they call them that because they kind of vaguely resemble the old school women's hair rollers. 
and you take those cages, those cages have slits in them that allow the bees to feed the queens, but they cannot actually get inside there with the queen and the queen can't get out. And you very gently, once all those queen cells are capped on that 10th day, you very gently put these roller cages over the top of them and they actually snap into and connect to that little plastic cup that it started off as. And you actually hook them over the top of it. Then you can leave them in your cell builder or move them over to another nursery colony. And what's going to happen then on your 14th, 15th, 16th day, your queens start emerging, but they can't get out of that little roller cage. And so they come out and they're hanging out down there. The bees can get to them. They can feed them. And then you come in on the 16th day when everybody should have been emerged. And you can then very gently pull that roller cage off of the queen cell with the queen down in the cage. And then there's a special end cap you can put on it. And when you do that, you can then put them back in. And now you've created basically a queen bank scenario where these virgin queens are ready to be introduced to other colonies. And, you know, those colonies, you want to prep them. You want to make sure that they're good to go. So you've made them queenless for enough time to then introduce the queen. And you introduce a virgin queen the same way you would a fully mated queen. You put her into a queen cage. You make sure she's got ample candy in there. And the candy, it doesn't do anything for the queen. She's not going to really mess with the candy. It's for the workers. They're going to lick and chew at it to try to get in there to her. And that slows down that progress of doing it. If you've got a colony that's very feisty or ornery, you may even take a very thin strip of painter's tape and put over the end of the cap where the candy is. So they have to chew through the tape first. You puncture it with just a tiny hole. And they chew through the tape first and then through the candy. And that gives it more like a five-day period instead of a three-day period. And by the time they release her from that cage, it's been plenty of time for her her weaker queen pheromone, since how she's a virgin queen, to kind of permeate the colony. And it's perfect timing, because now it's five days from the day that she emerged, for her to then come out, get used to the colony, and leave to go on her mating flights. So that's kind of the, the overall process on if you're going to go through and raise a queen at home. It's a very high-level overview of it, for sure. But that's kind of how you can actually raise queens on your own, put them into colonies. You can even take the queen cells and that's what you and Max are going to be doing. You can take those individual queen cells and you can install those into colonies as well. You just want to make sure that colony is not raising its own queens. If it is, they will abort that queen cell because it didn't come from them. But if you've made them hopelessly queenless and you go through there and you cut out any cells that they're trying to do and they have no other larva at the right age to make it, and then you give them a queen cell that is right at that 13, 14 day mark that's going to hatch in the next day or two. They will accept it. It'll hatch out. And then you'll have that new virgin queen in that colony. Yep. And that's what we're going to. I just texted Max. I just forwarded him what I thought I sent you a minute ago. So, yeah. And hopefully he'll do that this morning. But uh, I should have done it last night. We... Yeah. Yes, you should have. <laughs> yeah, I know we should have. Oh, well. And if I don't, I'll get it. When I get there, I'll do it to here in a little bit. But, yeah, uh, yeah uh, always something to do in bees. <laughs> there is. There is always something, something to do. If uh, and... In this COVID time right now, everybody's at home. Perfect to have bees. Let me tell you, there's always something, especially this time of year. Yeah. There's, there's always something to do. There's always something new to learn. Um, it doesn't matter if you literally are a certified master beekeeper or if you're just starting off on day one. Um, there are people that have been keeping bees for decades. And, you know, people that are even mentors to me, 
that you go through and every day you come across something and you're like, wow, I didn't know that they could do that. Or I didn't know that's what that meant or that's why they did that. And it's, there's, there's always something to learn, but these are always constantly teaching us something new. Yep. <laughs> they teach me something new every day. Don't walk out. Don't ride. Don't, don't, don't have that swarm commander on your suit. Cause we're going to stay. Yeah. yeah. Don't push your chin up to the front of your veil. Cause yeah. we'll sting your chin. Yeah. They, um. they want to see war They want to feel warm <laughs> flesh and they'll sting it when they do. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and that's just part of it. Uh, Max don't get stung, but I do on a regular basis. But anyway, uh, and he says, it's I'm still thinking I'm there's, there's a combination there to that. There, there is a, there's the anxiety about potentially getting stung again because you feel like they're me. always after you. Yeah. Um, there's the swarm commander, obviously. Um, there's pheromones from on the suit from any of the previous, you know, if you say, if you're checking all of your hives, right, mm -hmm. your day may start off really nice and calm. Yeah, and then by does. the time you get to your last hive, they're really aggravated. And if you always check that hive last, you may start to think this hive is always mean. But if you come out there with a very clean suit and you start with that hive instead of end with it, you may find a completely different story. That hive may be perfectly calm and, and just as easygoing as could be. Mm -hmm. And the reason of that is because even if you start the day off with a nice clean suit, once you've gone off there and pissed off 20 different colonies, <laughs> by the time you get to the 21st one, you're covered in pheromones again, and you're covered in all of that, you know, the alarm pheromone and the sting pheromone. And so when you get to that last colony or every colony thereafter, they just progressively behave worse because you're progressively being covered with more and more of those pheromones. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, yeah, it's just the way it is. And, and I... I'm learning it. Uh, still, I'm learning something every day. But uh, with these packages, <sighs> those little suckers are some wax raisin. They can. John told us. He says, "Okay, be sure when you put these packages in, don't just use all your drawn your drawed comb." I says, "Why? Uh, they don't have to make." At wax, we don't have to worry. They can just go to work making bees or making honey. <laughs> uh, no, they they put wax in places you wouldn't have thought they'd have put wax. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's always good. Even if it doesn't matter if it's a package, if it's a nuke, um, giving them some drawn comb to get them started and give them a boost is definitely a good thing. But also having some bars or frames of foundation in there to allow them to draw out the wax also keeps them occupied because if they're not using all of the excess sugar to make wax, then they're going to use it to make royal jelly. Mm -hmm. And if they have an excess of royal jelly, they're going to swarm way sooner than when you really want them to. And yes, a package that is just put into a container can swarm within a month if they feel like they've ran out of space. Or a nuke can swarm, even if they've got five things of comb in there, they can swarm if they get to that point too quickly where everything is full and there's nowhere for the queen to lay because they filled up what they had, you know, too soon. Mm -hmm. So it's a very fine line when you go through and you do any of this stuff, just like everything else. You know, there's contradictions and, and caveats to everything, but 
you go through and you you want to give them something to do. So you gave them four comb that were already drawn out, and then you give them four of them that aren't. That gives her a place to start, but then that also gives them somewhere to immediately start building comb as well. And if you keep them in that constant process, then, you know, it, it helps prolong the swarm urges. I know that we put some comb in uh, Sunday last, well, tomorrow be a week ago uh, in those packages. And all it was was wax foundation. And Max pulled one of them out. He said, Dad, look at this. It was full, fresh comb. There was wax foundations, and there was nothing. Well, no, I take it back. There was a, there was some uh, uh, pollen in them, and a little bit of liquid. But they had taken a wax foundation and completely made it a full drawed comb. comb. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? No, it is. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. That fresh white wax when it, when it's very fresh and there's never been any larva in it, you know, no brood raised in it. It's a very, very light, anywhere from a light cream color to a light yellow color, uh, depending on what their, their food source was when they were going through and making it. But yeah, it's fresh drawn wax is gorgeous. It's mm -hmm. just it's beautiful. It I know really these very, these very cool. these uh these little boxes, these meter boxes that we're taking the the little swarms out of. That that comb in those meter boxes is so fragile. But you let it warm up, it's just as hard as the other stuff. But well, that's the opposite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you let it cool off. Well, that's what and I meant. It's just let as hard cool as the off. other stuff. It's yeah, warm yeah. when it's in the box. Yes, I think when it's warm, it's it's even worse. Yeah. One of the things you remember our story with uh, with Mary when I was talking about the beautiful comb on the top bar that was just freshly drawn, beautiful white wax. It was all capped and it was full of ripe honey. That's the comb that you use whenever you do cut comb honey um, or chunk honey. Anytime you're gonna actually keep the honey in the comb, it has to be fresh drawn wax that's never had any eggs laid in it, never had any larva or brood raised in it. And you know, it's, it's just gorgeous and pristine. But at the same time, that fresh drawn wax that has never had any brood laid in it and never had any larva doesn't have the chrysalises and the cocoons embedded into the wax. And it doesn't have the propolis that they put back over it every time a generation is laid. So it's very, very soft and very, very fragile. And when it is full of honey, which weighs, you know, anywhere from five to seven pounds based on a frame or a bar, mm -hmm. it's very easy to smash it for it to rip off, fall and break. And you guys experienced that when you were going through and doing the small little combs out of those water meter boxes. Yep. You know, it just, it falls over sometimes because it is so fragile and so fresh and new. Yep. And, you know, the warmer it gets into the year, the more challenging that becomes because they're building more and more and more fresh wax and they're bringing in more and more food stores and piling inside of it. So your top bars in the summertime, everybody has to be very, very, very cautious do not manage your top bar in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day, or even in the evening. You need to set up your management for top bars first thing in the morning because that way, if it got to 90 degrees or heaven forbid down here, 100 plus degrees, they've had all night for that wax to cool down and kind of re-solidify and sturdy itself back up. And then if you go do your investigating first thing in the morning and you do your inspection, the wax is at the strongest because it's at the coolest 
but it's going to be all day long. Yep. So that's a, a very good key point because we're coming up on spring, kind of mid to late spring. Summer's going to be approaching. We've already had a couple of days here in Central Texas that were 95 degrees, which was insane. <laughs> um, you know, so those are things to keep in mind. If you have a Langstroth and you have foundation in your frames, it's not something you ever have to worry about. If you have a Langstroth and you have no foundation and the bees have just drawn natural comb in the frame, then it can be the same thing. If they haven't attached it to all of the sides, if you pick it up and you tilt it, you'll see the wax start to move. It'll start to bend. So you've got to be very cognizant of those types of things. Yep. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so so now you know you can, you can go through. This will be an experiment for you guys to see if you can uh, – successfully get this queen to to be accepted and to be raised inside yep. that other colony and you also know that if for some reason if it fails if they go in there and they kill her and take that cell out of there and start raising their own queen we cells queen. and that's yep that's how you'll know mm -hmm. is because you'll go and you'll look and you'll do an inspection and not only is the queen cell being torn down, the capping of it may not be off of the end of it. It may just have the hole in the side of it, mm -hmm. but they will be making new queen cells of their own and drawing those out. And that's always a good sign that they murdered that virgin queen and they're still making their own. Um, in which case you turn around again and you remove all the queen cells they're trying to do. And then you're just gonna turn around and you can do one of two things. In this case, you still have their queen. Mm -hmm. So you could give them their original queen back and they will happily take her and it won't be a problem. Or you can take another bar from the colony that has eggs, the other top bar colony that's doing really well, take another bar that has eggs and larvae and give them that comb. And then their only choice to raise a queen is from that comb because they have no other larva at that point that's at the right age to do it. Um, but it'll be fun. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. in the beekeeping world is fun, except when you get stung, and that ain't except bad. Except getting stung. Yep. <laughs> it depends Depends on how many times you get stung in the same place yeah. on the same day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all it's yeah. all fun, and folks, it's so much fun, and, and you got some great barter material. That's all I can say. Yeah. That is a, a carryover from the radio show this morning. So for those of you who may not have caught it, um, Ken and I were live on his Great Outdoors radio show this morning, and the for those of you on Patreon, that is actually going to be our bonus episode this week on Thursday, is we're going to replay the live there um, random chaos that it is, which fits perfectly with, with all of our other bonus episodes, uh, but we're going to pull that over and we'll upload it out there on Patreon for everybody on Thursday for you guys to go out and check that out. So if you didn't catch it this morning when we were actually live on the radio, you can go catch it on Patreon and enjoy that little tidbit for sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, maybe if you guys want to be brave and try it or gals, um, you can go out there and, and try to raise your own queens. And instead of spending the money on a $35 plus queen plus shipping, you know, you can try and use some of the natural genetics there in your area from the feral bees and see kind of what comes of it and how it works out. Now, one thing that we're helping, Max has ordered, 
drone comb now. You shouldn't have told him that green comb in there is drone comb so they can raid more drones. Now he says, Dad, we're going to start raising drones, and we're going to start enhancing our the, the drones. We're going to put more drones, good drones in the air to breed with these feral queens. And we're going to start changing our feral mean queens into nicer queens and our nicer bees. And I'm sitting there. You're worse than I am. <laughs> yeah, well, the drone comb is also a integrated pest management tool. Um, it's part of the IPM system. So that green foundation, plastic foundation, that is the drone comb that you put inside of a Langstroth hive, part of the reason of it is in a Langstroth hive, all of your natural well, let me rephrase that. In a Langstroth hive, all of the foundation that is made to go in there mm -hmm. is all stamped with the size of worker cells. Mm -hmm. And all you're letting your colony do is just draw out worker cells. Mm -hmm. That's why when you put another box on there, they'll build the burr comb between the top and bottom of the two frames in between the boxes. Mm -hmm. And they always make drone comb there and they always put drones in that. That's why they have nowhere else to lay it. Well, Varroa mites love to develop inside a drone cell because the drone takes longer to develop and the mite can literally get another entire generation born wow. if they develop inside the drone cell instead of a worker cell. Wow. So if you turn around and you put in that green foundation, the bees draw it out, the queen comes in there, she lays solid drones in it because there's nowhere else for her to lay drones and the colony wants them and needs them. And then you take that green frame out when it's all capped and you put it in the freezer, and you freeze it for two or three days. Wow. You kill the drones, you kill the, the varomites in the process, then you take it out and you can put it back in the colony, and if your colony is very strong and robust, it makes a lot of extra work for them, but they will go and open up all of those cappings and they will pull all of those drones out of there. If they're still in a larval stage, they'll cannibalize a lot of it and they'll reuse the, the protein from it. But they'll pull them out if they're already kind of into the pupation stages. They'll pull them out and throw them out the front of the hive, and you get rid of all the mites in the process. So that's that's one method of mite treatment that can be used. But people do absolutely use it to stimulate drone production and to raise more drones. Because if you're raising traditional, uh, I'm sorry, if you're raising traditional Langstroth hives, you don't give them very many opportunities to raise drones, which the population, as you said, does desperately need drones out there. Mm -hmm preferably from a good genetic lineage mm -hmm. so that you can continue to spread the wealth and spread those good genetics. Now, the next trick is going to be for you guys to learn all about what is called a drone congregation area or a DCA and Bar. how to set up different locations for drones specifically so that those drones will then mate with queens that you're trying to raise in a different location. Because remember, they go opposite directions and the queen flies further than the drone. And so you wanna strategically place colonies that are raising good drones in areas where they will flood specific drone congregation areas that then you raise a queen from a different area that will then hopefully go to that drone congregation area. So again, so many things to learn and like, it's just the tip of the iceberg for some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that all, that all wraps right back around into raising your own queen, because yep. if you're going to do it a lot and you want to hedge the bets, basically, you know, increase the chances of having these better genetics, then you can start strategically doing things like this. That's what the big queen breeders do. 
they flood the drone congregation areas with all of the genetics that they want to be there to drastically increase the chances that their queens that they're raising in the other location then mate with the, the genetic profile that they're wanting to have in their bees. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a science for sure. I mean, it's absolutely a science to go through and do that, but it's just another fun thing that you can go through and experiment with. See if you can find the drone congregation areas, learn how to, you know, strategically raise the drones. You do the same thing you do with the Queens. You pick the genetics that you like best from your favorite colonies. And those are the ones that you encourage to raise drones or encourage to raise Queens, but not from the same colony. You don't want to, you know, right. you don't want interbreeding going on, so you don't do it from the same colony. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's so interesting, guys. That's all I'll say. And uh, I've got a feeling that's probably for another show when we start oh, yeah. talking about raising drones and doing this and doing that. And, uh, and I like drones. They don't sting you. That's all right. They don't have a stinger. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that is that is definitely another episode. And it's also, you know, there are some really cool guests that we can have on that are way more knowledgeable about the subject than I am. And we can have them talk about the DCAs and talk about some of these different things. And that'll be really fun. Um, it'll It'll probably be a little ways down the road just for the simple fact that uh, I don't want to have multiple phone no, recorded interviews no. all in one thing that'll yeah. be back when hopefully someday when uh we can both be in the studio and then we can have the guest either there with us or on the phone with us at least and uh, kind of minimize that a little bit but yeah absolutely definitely content for uh future episodes down the road it's gonna be fun folks just stick around you know yeah we've we showed you how to raise bees but uh as we're finding out there's so many more parallels to just making honey Oh, by the way, John yeah. told me, he says, I told him I was going to split some more of my hives. He says, Kenner, you want to raise bees or you want to make honey? Oh, I want to make honey. Well, to quit splitting. That's right. <laughs> make up your mind, man. <laughs> um, now, yeah, I did. I said, you know, I'd reminded you. I was like, hey, you know, it, it really depends. If you want to split them, go for it. But keep in mind, you're probably not going to get a honey harvest from any of the ones that you physically do a split on. So, you know, did you want to have a lot of honey or are you going for a lot of bees? Because... And this is the segue to what I was getting ready to ask you just a second ago. Has the post office called you yet? No, I just <laughs> don't you have been, more bees coming? That's what I've been waiting. I've been watching for my phone to go off. No, it had, they hadn't called. So maybe they didn't get them shipped out, or maybe they're going to let them run uh, regular mail to Tao. Yeah, so you'll end up getting them on Monday then. Yep. I'll get but them uh, you have you have your this is your final set of packages, right? Yes, yeah, three more packages. These are Russians. Yep. Very cool. Yep. Max, lots and lots. Max says, Dad, that bunch raises scrat queens. I says, okay, so we're going to have some scrats. I want some scrats. I, I, I think you just like the name. That's the way I am. Scrats. What are those? Those are scrats queens. What the hell is a scrat? It's a bee. Uh, <laughs> but we were told that was scrats are, queen, in... are mean. Well, it's a, a scrat is the short abbreviation for the Saskatraz bees that were actually raised in Saskatchewan, Canada. Mm -hmm. That's a, a bee line that was actually kind of developed up there. And we have heard varying degrees of either people love them for their honey production, yep. but don't ever mention anything about their attitude nope. or dislike, dislike them for, for their attitude. attitude. So 
it could be another experiment for you guys to go through and do, and then all the rest of us can benefit from the knowledge of yay or nay, are they better or worse on this or that. Yep. Um, but if it is a bee that makes a lot of honey, but has an attitude, then you might as well just stick with your feral bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now I've got another idea. Uh, I'm going to put these, these three colonies I'm getting today or tomorrow or Monday into cypress boxes who have seven eighths inch thick walls. I'm putting them in the cypress boxes. The, the 11 that we already have put up, we put in pine boxes, which are three quarter inch walls. I want to see if the thicker walls give us more honey. Okay. Then you're, you're splitting hairs though on, on going oh, from, I know. <laughs> from those measurements. I know. I know. <laughs> You want a real test. You put them in those two inch, two by yeah. two inch thick. Yeah. Yeah. Those Same suckers time. are heavy though. They're heavy. Yep. Oh, they're heavy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh man. So many things to talk about down the road, but oh, I is. think uh, for, for today, I think we've definitely given everybody B overload. So we'll, uh, we'll shut down on, on random topics for here. <laughs> I think so. So, well, then, our Patreon's going to be my radio show. Wow! Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we'll we'll snip it out of there and we'll put it over on Patreon for everybody to go through and listen to for the for the bonus episode. So for there again, anybody who is signed up on Patreon at the High Jive Junkie level, that'll be your bonus episode that you will hear on Thursday. Will be the live radio show this morning with Ken and I, and it's uh, three separate segments. Um, random topics you know just kind of whatever comes off the cuff but it'll be entertaining for everybody so we'll we'll put that out there just because it's a different experience that uh our hive jive listeners don't normally get to hear um you know necessarily part of your shows and stuff so we'll put that out there for everybody yeah we even mentioned that you know the southern hemisphere the commode goes different direction yeah guys uh you know he picks on you here on the podcast and he picks on you live on the radio too he loves to pick on his australian fans <laughs> yes it's fun oh all right everybody well hopefully everybody is still abiding by the uh the social distancing and staying home and staying safe and you know definitely do not take any of this stuff lightly um unfortunately yeah. I have, you know, inside information from really bad hotspot areas like New York where it is it is extremely scary and people are literally dying every single day and they can't keep up with it. And everybody can help. Everybody can do their part to prevent this kind of stuff. You know, stay away from other people. Don't go into social gatherings. Don't go hang out in the park and be all buddy-buddy up next to people. Keep your distance. Stay at home. Don't go out unless you have to. If you do go out in public, wear your gloves, take hand sanitizer, wash your hands frequently, wear a mask if you have it. Um, It is serious. It is real. So definitely do that. And, you know, spend more time at home with your bees and teach your kids about the bees and and learn more about them yourself. And uh, just everybody stay safe, stay healthy. And as we always say, be good. Be safe and be healthy, family. All right. We'll talk to you later. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.